As Paul writing as he gets to the end of this letter, and he says, finally, a lot of people probably breathed with relief. My brothers and sisters that I long for to be with, that I've missed, my joy, my crown in this manner, stand firm in the Lord. A command to stand firm. Then he, then he goes in this transition to two ladies we talked about last week that possibly were stirring up some grief in the church. And he said, I, I urge Miss Goodtime and Miss Fancy, Miss Perfect to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partners, to help these women who contend for the gospel by my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. I want them all to rejoice. I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it because I'm not sure you got it the first time. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone because the Lord is so close to you guys. And because he's so close. See, this is where y'all mess up letting me read. So I want you to picture the scene. We talked about it last week, right? This preacher has gotten up. He's, he's reading this letter because that's how the letters were read. They were read to the church. And he probably had a wife like mine back in the soundboard. You know, where nobody could really see her, but she could still give me the eye and the look and the finger. Not that finger, just a finger. Um, you know, to keep, to keep me in check. And he got to this part and he goes, these two ladies, oh, Miss Fancy Good Time and Miss Perfect. Y'all been stirring up so much grief. And she was back there in the soundboard and eyes got wide and, and she was nervous as all get out. Because you know that, that just stirred up some trouble, right, in the church when you called somebody out out loud and told him, hey, you need to deal with your problems. You need to quit dividing the church. You need to get this joke settled. You need to get unified together as it's supposed to be. Because the Lord is near. He's close. He's with us, as always. And, and this, is, this is where I wanted to get. So I picture that, that wife. I don't even know if the pastor of Church Philippi had a wife, but I'm a picture he did, right? And I picture her like she's anxious and she's worrying now because her husband just stirred the pot. You know, straight up in the church. I know that never happens here. You guys have no idea about it. But if I could pretend that maybe that's where she's at. Because in the very next sentence, he tells me, go, stop worrying about anything. But in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to the Lord. And if you do this, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Just go back and look at it again. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thank, you realize we might just be anxious and worrying about tomorrow because we haven't been thankful for today. Amen. I mean, do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, don't be anxious and worried about all this stuff, but today be thankful. Request, make your request known to the Lord. And I just wonder if sometimes like we're, we're anxious and we're worrying and and we're, uh, I, man, I never thought I'd quote Joyce, Joyce Meyer, but she's got this thing with worry. And she says, worry is just a down payment on a problem you ain't never going to have. And, and, and it's true. I can't say everything she says might be true, but that right there is, is soundproof, man. It's a, it's a down payment on something that probably ain't never going to happen. But we let it consume us. We let it take us over. And I think if we would just be thankful for the things that we're going on in on today, worry wouldn't have a place for tomorrow. And I think that's what Paul's getting at. You know, the first thing I wrote, I said, fear, stress, worry, anxiety. And then I listed just a bunch of other stuff. I said, these things ravage our culture. I mean, just sit around and talk to people, you know, watch Facebook and, and, and spend some time live with somebody. And you can watch them where, where they will have an emotional breakdown because of some junk they're going through. 
Because of some stuff in, in the mind. Probably our greatest struggle, I would say, is struggles in our mind with anxiety and worry. Anxiety is a thief. It steals your thoughts. It steals your peace. It, it steals your confidence. It steals your joy. And in a book where the theme is joy, and we've been talking about joy, and this guy's been sitting in prison telling us to increase our joy. Well, you know, if he's going to be honest and upfront about it, then there has to be a point where he addresses the problem. And the problem, he says, the reason you guys don't have joy well, sometimes you, you connect them all together. Sometimes you guys aren't solving issues when they needed to be solved and you're letting them become big issues when they weren't a big issue. I really picture these two ladies were arguing. I said this last week. These two ladies were arguing over like this little mundane thing and it just got blown out of proportion. And I also said last week, I fully believe now I think this, I can't prove it, but I fully believe they solved their issue because we never hear about it again. It's not in any more letters. They're never an example again. You know, so they, so they got it taken care of, but how many little things do we let become big things? How many things that aren't even real problems do we let become these, these major problems? So Paul says in two verses, verses 6 and 7, that's it. And then hopefully we get 8 and 9 next week. And then maybe 10, 11, I don't know, right? He says, he says if you're going to deal with this issue of worry and anxiety, here's, here's, some, here's some things for it. Before I get to it, I want to tell you about this lady. We talk about things consuming us, right? So there was a lady, she couldn't sleep since they moved in their new house. I mean, every night for 10 years, she wakes up throughout the night, listens, you know, maybe walks around, or some of you can relate with that. And, and finally, her husband's like, what are you, what are you always getting up for? Like, what, what is your problem? She says, I think somebody's just going to break in. Like, I know, I know we live in a rough area, and like, somebody's going to break into this house. And, and, and he's going, you know, it's one thing when you're afraid of something that's realistic, but this husband goes on and he says, he says, we've never been broken into before. She's got no reason to be afraid of being robbed because she's never been robbed. You know, some people, you, you deserve to have a fear of something because you went through something. You know, you deserve for that to have bothered you just a little bit because you've been there. This lady hadn't even been there. She's in this house. She's scared to death. She's, she's checking windows and getting up and checking doors and every little noise that, that wakes her. Finally, after 10 years, a window breaks. And you guessed it. There was finally a burglar in the house. So this husband races downstairs. Burglar's caught. He doesn't have a weapon. So there's really, you know, no, nothing going on. He goes, wait, wait, wait. To the guy before he, you know, runs away or whatever. And the guy turns around. And he's like, I, you know, kind of the most awkward moment ever. You've broken into a house and the guy doesn't want to hurt you. And he says, I, I just need you to come upstairs, please. My wife has been waiting on you for 10 years. <laughs> For 10 years, she let something steal her peace and her, and that's the problem. Be honest. If you, if you've got anxiety and worry, you don't sleep good. You know what I'm saying? Cause you're, you're on these, these things. And I think sometimes the Lord might wake us up just a little bit to get us to speak with him about whatever we're anxious and worrying about. You know what I'm saying? Just for some alone time. Maybe at three o'clock, some people say, that sounds crazy to wake up. Maybe he woke you up so you could go see your great illustration of that white overcoming all the dirtiness outside. You know, that's why that woman likes snow so much, right? I hope y'all know that. She's not just a weird southerner trapped in this, this place where snow does. Well, she is a weird southerner, but you know, it's not just that she's a weird southerner wanting snow. Like, like she has this picture of snow just covered over all the dirtiness and it becoming white and pure. It's a beautiful illustration of what the Lord does in our lives. And maybe he woke you up at 3 a.m. just to see he could take that white snow and cover up whatever anxiety and worry and anything else that we go through. You know, really, in, in effect, Americans are really very funny at this thing. You know, we've got filters on our on our faucets. I know people who quit using their, their little fridge 
dispenser because the, you know what I'm saying? Like the little filter thing breaks. If you ever price that thing, it's really, really expensive to replace that whole system. We drank out of ours. We ain't changed our filter and I don't know how long. I grew up drinking out of a water hose. Why do I need a filter on my fridge? You know what I'm saying? So like, if you, if you've got a problem with that, bring your own water when you come to my house. Oh, <laughs> that's all I can tell you or bring a, a different drink or whatever. But, but like, we put these filters on our water. We put air ionizers in our homes. We, 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 we worry about the, the flu and we try to teach people to wash their hands, which is just sad. Uh, you guys are scared of COVID and, and getting other bacteria and, and all this stuff. And, and here's the funny thing. So that's all just stuff that's listed that we're, we're normally afraid of and how we overreact. Yet stats show us that 25% of Americans smoke, 25% of drivers don't wear their seatbelts, and 75% of those people who own a mobile device, they text while they're driving. Now, here's what that tells us, because it's not like any of that should surprise us. We worry about perceived dangers, yet we ignore real ones. Is that not what's really going on? We're afraid of things that are probably never going to happen, yet the things that possibly could happen, we, we totally ignore them. And in these verses, you know, I just read them. Some of you already have those verses memorized. Like those are, those are verses you go to when you're dealing with, with some of this, this mental health and, and different stuff to go through. It's part of your, your lineup, you could call it. And part of Paul's lineup is this. Verse one, I want you to stand fast. Just a review. That's a command. I, I implore these two ladies. I urge you guys to rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. So with that same approach, he goes into verse six and seven. And yeah, we're not going to like it because that means part of this is a command, right? He goes into this and he says, I command you guys, it's a command, the present tense that it's written in and the, and the type of verb, to stop worrying. Really what he's doing, I'm so glad she had it as a praise report. We did not plan it, I promise you. You know, I didn't even go to their house yesterday because my little boy wanted a birthday party and place to shooting guns. But then they shot a lot of guns, so that was kind of cool. Right, just plastic BBs. You know, but, but so, so he's looking at a lady like Beth. She was my example the whole time, so the Lord just set it up, right? And he's saying, hey, I give you permission to release the universe. You don't have to make every decision in the whole universe any longer. And while we laugh because Beth shares that and, and, and we know that, how many of you today before the end of this message is the Lord begging you, stop being in control of the whole universe. Stop thinking you can handle it all. I know he's yelling at my wife. I was going to tell you all that. It's bad when, you, when you're in the family of the pastor. You just become lots of examples. And they, as the kids get older, they'll hate it, but they don't have a choice because I'll always be bigger and stronger. Oh, you know, but yeah. <laughs> think about it. How many things do we sit here and worry about that we think we're in charge of that you're not even in charge of? I had a customer this week. He sat down and he was making all these plans for spending his tax money and hadn't even filed his taxes yet, which well, I don't even know if you can yet. I file in April like 14th. I think they're due on the 15th. I'll um, show you how much I care about him. So you, know, you, you got all, all this going on. And then he says, what if I don't get enough money? Brother, you just plan to spend more money than I'm going to spend in the next six months of life. And now you're worried about them not giving you. I mean, you know, we worry about things that aren't even in our control. We, we, we let these things consume us. And, and here's what Paul says. And I think the Lord is telling us, it's okay for you to resign from being in control of everything. God will let you resign. He will, he will let you resign from being in control of your world, your universe, your stuff, and everything else. All right? So here, here's, let's begin with the problem. Because I think if we understand some of this, it may help us to overcome some of this. So if you want to understand anxiety, it'll help you overcome anxiety. Number one, the problem, verse six. The word we just said, anxious. 
Anxiety is the problem. All right, here's what he says. And now this word, the Greek word that he uses, right? Marinado, it appears 19 times in 17 New Testament verses. Now that didn't even count how many times it would have been used in the in the 100% Hebrew section of Scripture, but it was there too, right? Three English words that we translate it into normally. Worry, anxious, and care. It's the same word Jesus used when he told us not to worry about your life. That's the, that's the word he chose. It's the same word Jesus used when he spoke to Martha. And he told her, he said, you're so distracted by all this stuff. Remember that one thing? But, but I want you to worry about this. I want you to stop worrying. The same word he uses, right? About the many things. And just focus on the one thing. It's the same word Paul uses. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Where he says, I want you to be without care. Is he saying don't care about nothing? No. He's saying don't let this stuff consume you. It's okay to care about it. how you handle your cares determines whether it's anxiety or not. All right? So, and in studying, here's what I found. And then right after that, I got to share that. Well, I'm going to share it before because I want you to get the seriousness right afterwards, right? So this Greek word marinata comes from two Greek words that were stuck together. So write that part down because that's good stuff or going to be good stuff. But before I want to give you two Southern words that as I was trying my hardest to learn how to pronounce this word right, Yet, believe it or not, as bad as I pronounce this stuff, I try really hard to learn how to pronounce this stuff. Me and Blue Letter Bible, like, we listen to each other. Well, I don't know if it listens to me. I listen to it <laughs> a lot, right? So, so in learning, here's, here's the correct way of pronouncing it. Marinata, right? So there's, there's a T there, even though there's not a T in the written part. So that confuses me altogether. So then the two southern words that I see, I don't know if you guys see it the same. I think the Lord did this on purpose, is marinate. You ever marinated on something too long? Huh? Now, some of y'all are just like, man, you got to talk about marinating right now. We ain't even close to the, to the lunch break yet. Yeah, I want to I get your saliva gans warm in just a little bit, right? But think about it. What is, what is to marinate? To marinate is to soak something and let it sit for a little while, right? What is it that you're marinating on that's cooking up something you ain't supposed to be eating? Right? So I think even in the pronunciation of this, the Lord gives us two southern things that we'll remember. So you got marinate, then you got the other word, mar- uh, man, I was doing so good. Marinata, right? What's the other word? Not. These are just the words I hear. You guys may be thinking, I don't hear none of those words at all. Well, if you heard the guy on Blue Letter Bible say it the right way, you use what you'd hear. You'd hear marinate, to stir on something, to, to soak on something that you ain't supposed to. And then not. When you soak on something you're not supposed to, it puts you up in knots. Y'all should, y'all, mm-mm. I will, I will repeat this section for an hour and a half if you don't get excited about that because I thought that was so cool. I promise you I will. I don't need lunch. You know what I'm saying? Like I cheated this week and I didn't fast like I was supposed to so it don't bother me to skip lunch today, right? So here, I'm going to do it one more time. You can pretend like it's the first time you heard it. Right? There's two words that make up this one word in the Greek. But before I get to the Greek, I want to give you the southern of the two words that the Lord has in my pronunciation. Right? To marinate, which is to think on something longer than you should think on it. Maybe it's something you shouldn't even be stirring on to eat. And then the second word is not. Now see, now y'all just making fun of me because I didn't make it to the line. If you think on something too long as you're not supposed to think on, if you marinate on it, it'll put you up in knots. Let's go. 
cool stuff. Why did I have to make you and get excited about that? That was good stuff. You're still marinating on it. All right. All right. Let me get to the real biblical definition. That really is the way you pronounce the word. I promise you. And that really is how I heard it when the guy was talking. So I promise you, I think that was for somebody in the room who thinks like me. God bless you. Right. Here's the two actual Greek words that they use to combine to make this word marinata. Right. I'm not even going to try to pronounce them anymore because you guys are just making fun of me. Right? But I believe if we, if we study scripture, we'll get a better understanding of what the Bible means when it uses this word anxiety, care, and worry sometimes, right? So the two words is this. The first word is a word that means to tear or to separate. So to tear or divide. The second word, N-A-O-S, is how you would originally say it before they put that weird T in there, right? Is the mind. Now are you connecting those two for real? Because that should like seriously get you understanding Anxiety, right? It means what? To literally divide the mind. Now, any of you that ever suffered with anxiety or, or worry or, 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 or an or a unhealthy amount of care, then you would fully understand what I'm talking about right here. Because we let our mind get divided by things that we're not supposed to be divided among, right? So you read this definition that Paul is saying. I think it's a fitting description of anxiety. And he's saying anxiety is when your mind is divided between legitimate thoughts and destructive thoughts. Because this word care is the same word Jesus uses sometimes. So he's saying, like, I want you to care about some things. But I don't want them to become destructive thoughts. You can let it go too far in the way you handle it, right? So anxiety takes your mind in two different directions. True anxiety tears you apart. And if you ever talk to somebody who's dealing with anxiety or worry or or, or, uh, uh, maybe even a twisted form of, of depression just a little bit, man, they're tore apart. They don't know what direction to go. They can't make this, the simple choices because they're, they're messed up. James says a double-minded man is unstable. I think that's pretty spot on for what's going, right? And I think in all of times of history, I know the Lord wrote it for, for back then, but I think in all the times of history, this verse is more appropriate for right now than ever. And, and here's why. Because just in some of the, the little bit of research I did and thinking on anxiety before I knew we were only going to have two verses to look at, there are 40 million plus Americans that suffer from anxiety disorder. Now, that number should blow your mind. Here's where it really going to blow your mind. That's actually medically diagnosed. So you got 40 million people that have actually gone to a doctor that were told this is your problem. How many of them are sitting at home that ain't been diagnosed yet that still got it? Right? In case you don't know math, that's 20% of Americans. That means one out of every five of us in this room statistically are dealing with anxiety or have dealt with anxiety at some level. Right? That's crazy. I mean, that's wild, right? That study went further to say this. They took 14 countries, and out of 14 countries, America was the number one most anxious people in the world. Here's some of the countries they included in their study. Nigeria, Lebanon, and Ukraine. I don't know how much of you guys know about those countries, but those are some troubled spots of the world. You don't, and ain't nobody said, you know what, guys? Let's buy some plane tickets to go to the Ukraine for vacation. Right? And that, that, ain't, that might be where you're going for a mission trip. But it ain't the place you're going to relax and chill. Right? So these are the most troubled spots in the world. Yet, Americans have just won the undisputed Olympic gold medal for anxiety and worry over places like this. Statistically, in three decades, so 30 years, we've jumped more than 1,200%. One guy writes it saying this right here. This is crazy right here, right? One psychologist, Robert Lethe, he said, the average high school kid today, the average high school kid, not the most, but the average has the same level of anxiety that a patient in 1950 would have had in a psych ward. 
Now, part of that tells us where the mission field's expanding, because if they're going through all that, who do you think they uh, need to be advised by? The world outside or us in here? Right? So it ought to open our eyes. If nothing else, you ought to have your eyes open. To, man, I need to start relating to these kids and opening their hearts to understand that there's a cure for this thing. Me, I had to flip it just a little bit. I said, man, in a country like America, what in the world could people be so anxious about that we become number one in the world about it? So I looked it up. And not to elaborate on too much of it, but money was number one. Retirement was number two. Work was number three. Social security was number four. Terrorist attack, health care, and racism all ranked in the same levels at six, seven, and eight. Now, the last three, I might could at least understand that they saw that video of 9-11 and it stayed in their minds forever. And that is what did it. Or they watched the news and they understand that racism is still a thing that's going on one way or the other. And it's, it's bothering them or, or whatever else. But when I look at the top ones in America, money, retirement, which I think connects to money, work, which I guarantee you're at most of the time for money, and Social Security... Also relates back to money and even health care. If we are honest, we look at jobs to make sure we get good. They wouldn't care about their health. That's nowhere on the list, by the way. They cared about their health care. All I see is self-induced problems. Am I right? Now, some of us in this very room may be dealing with self-induced problems, but it's self-induced problems. Those are not real problems. We joke sometimes, especially with, with some of our friends that have been on the mission field or on the mission field still. We go, yeah, America, third world problems. First world problems is what we got. Right? It's, it's the difference sometimes. It's overtaking us. And if you don't live your life with an anchor of faith, you're going to drift in a sea of anxiety. I mean, it will take you out further and further than you ever wanted to go. That's the problem. That little bit of thing will take you further than you want to go. And think about the people who most likely have filled out some of this stuff. They might be thinking, you know, the universe is just random. There's no reason. There's no design. There's no plan. There's no guy. So they're accidental occurrences of accidental circumstances. That's a very lonely place to be. Right? Because they've, they've got no point. They've got no, no purpose. They're isolated. They're lonely. They don't even know what they're here for. And I thought maybe at least one of these sites would have a solution. So, so here's the best solution. I don't know. After just a couple hours on Tuesday evening of, of skimming through stuff. Or Wednesday evening. I'm sorry. Here's the best solution the websites got for them. This is a site, this is the number one actually psychiatric website. Our goal, this is a doctor, somebody way smarter than me. Our goal then shouldn't be to dismiss anxiety entirely, but to just make it a healthy, manageable part of our lives. I'm going to read it again because I don't think everybody in the room caught it. Our goal shouldn't be to get rid of anxiety. I'll, I'll use their words. Our goal shouldn't be to dismiss anxiety. Entirely, but to make it a healthy, manageable part of our lives. You're telling me the world, the world's number one site in doctors, the best they got to offer is not that you can get rid of it, but we're going to teach you how to manage it. You know what the scripture says? What does it say? Get rid of it. I've been reading stuff. I don't know why it's coming up. Maybe it's because she's planning a party from the 80s. But I've been like reading like these little memes sometimes that'll pop up about like phrases 
We used to say from my generation versus what in the world they mean. I don't even know what they mean in y'all's generation. Uh, talking to the second row, not Jake, because he is in my generation. Right? You don't think he's that young just because he's handsome, right? So you, you, you got that going. And, and I read some of them. One of them the other day had it. And I, 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 had to, I had to use it for today, right? said, ain't nothing but a thing. My people remember that? Huh? Ain't nothing but a thing. Ain't nothing but a thing. Scripture says, stop letting that thing consume you because it ain't nothing but a thing. When you realize how powerful and how mighty your father is, Abba, you just say, Abba, I can't handle this. And Abba says, man, that ain't nothing but a thing. I got it, right? Like, like it's mine. It's, it's no problem. I'm not good with their answer. I'm going to teach you how to deal with it because the Bible says there's a chance to eliminate it. And I don't need to just put one more thing on the back burner to handle and to pop up later. I need to get rid of some stuff. Right? And I think maybe some of you guys could be with me in that idea. If not, you're just going to have to hear about it, right? So our problem, number one was the problem, anxiety. Number two is the prescription. You ain't going to like verse two. My wife, she's not, I don't even know if she's still in here. She didn't ran away, right? She hates when I do this right here. But I was so glad this was in here so that I could tell her, baby, I'm just being spiritual. Right? See, y'all, just, y'all, y'all that's a prelude, right? Because here's the prescription, verse six. Be anxious for nothing. That's the prescription. You get it? Huh? It's a command. He's saying, I command you, stop worrying. Now, if you're talking to somebody like my wife who can't stand when I say, baby, just stop. Just stop worrying. You can't tell a worrier to stop worrying. That sounds absurd. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't tell somebody who's already snapped to just push it back together. Look, you need to click all your Legos back together, dog, because you done snapped and you need to just stop. You can't tell about that. That just sounds weird, right? Paul is saying, <laughs> Lord, don't tell my wife, just roll with it. <laughs> we had some little hiccups this week. Well, she ain't in here. It's going to get me in a lot of trouble. Y'all just don't tell her. We had some hiccups. Some of the hiccups was these TVs. Because here's the, here's the thing, and she's right. She's 100% right. Hear me say that. Before I, before I get myself in more trouble later, right? She's 100% right. I go to her with this because to me, she's the only person I know that can like really control computers and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm dumb on a computer, guys. Like real dumb, for real. Like, so, so her ability is so far above mine, I expect her to be able to just solve anything. I just said, baby, we got a new TV. We got new wires. We got new TVs. We got a new computer. It ought to just plug, play, and be good to go. Satan is straight up in technology. I'm telling you right now because stuff that should be the easiest turns out to be the worst. Y'all see how long the back TV was gone, right? Then we finally, brother comes up in the walls, drills holes, puts all new line. I said, oh, Jesus, you done got the answer and cable. Not cable TV, but new cable. That that was the whole problem, right? That's going to solve it. New computer comes in right on time. I said, yeah. My wife and Carla sat up here Friday, Thursday. <laughs> Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. She had more time with her this week than I did, right? So, so they got all this time together. She comes home and said, "Hey, everything went great, right? We'll talk about it later." <laughs> now I've been married long enough to know that means don't ask no more questions that night. You wait till the next morning. My problem is it stays in my head. And it don't bother me none, but it stays in my head so well. Things that shouldn't stay in my head do, and things that should don't. By the way. Right? Because I don't remember next morning. She said, let's talk about it next morning. So 7 o'clock. Hey, baby, how'd the computer go? What's... 
I am one dumb man when it comes to that kind of stuff. I'm just telling you right now, right? Anyway, finally last night she had done had enough. We had a birthday party. Had here. Had big Joe come here and and, and and just everything going. As I knew last night when I went to bed, we were still going to be missing one TV. I come in and we got all three TVs, right? Computer and lines. Come to find out it was switching the plug in or I don't know something Jeremiah did. It's bad when y'all let the redneck from north solve a technology issue. You know what I'm saying? But it was fixed. It was fixed. And let me ask you something, all honesty. Would it have affected your worship and your hearing of the word whatsoever if you had one black screen? You know, I'm just, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Did your worship just diminish? Did your hearing of the word diminish? So it's not in this crap that we focus on so much, right? But you can't tell somebody who cares about that stuff, don't worry about it. Because they're going to worry about it, right? It sounds naive. It sounds, you call it idealistic or whatever, whatever you want to call it, right? To make matters worse, as I wrote this down, I was kind of smiling because I know where my wife is when I tell her that, right? And I'm the same way. If, she, if there is something I am worrying about, I'm the same way. Don't tell me not to worry about it. I got to make sure I figure out how these appointments is going to, you know, things is changing at the shop. I got to make sure, you know, so I'm the same way. Sometimes I forget it ain't nothing but a thing, right? You can't get mad at Paul because you realize Paul is quoting Jesus. Everybody's like, oh man. <laughs> it's one thing to, to be mad at the, I give y'all a little spiritual boost. Right? It was one, <laughs> it was bad. I wish it was that easy, right? I should have never touched it. I'm sorry. Y'all said it wouldn't affect y'all's worship. Right? Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says the same things, right? And he gives us some reasons why anxiety shouldn't rule over. A sermon on the mount. He says, I wish you guys would stop worrying about your life. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about what you're going to eat. Do not worry about what you're going to drink. Do not worry about your body or what you're going to put on. Is not life more than food and a body more than clothing? Then he gives us an illustration. Look at the birds of the air. They don't, they don't read and gather into barns. And your heavenly, your, you're going to unlike that because that's really important. Your heavenly father feeds them. He ain't their heavenly father. He's your heavenly father. Right? Are you not more valuable to your heavenly father than some birds that, that he ain't got a personal relationship with? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to your statue? Your worrying ain't going to make you no taller. Now, please, I, I do want to point this out because I think it's really important because we misuse scripture a lot of time. Don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. He ain't saying kick back and be lazy. Because I didn't heard people preach this thing and they, they preach it as kick back, be lazy, and Jesus to take care of everything. You sit in that recliner as long as you want to. Jesus ain't bringing you no steak dinner to your recliner. I promise you. You know what I'm saying? If he does, it's just because you've got a good woman at home or a good man at home that's cooking it. Right? He's not saying be lazy. Why? Because he's saying, I don't want you to have an anxious over-concern about these things. I don't want you to have a, a double mind. A mind that's divided. You ever seen a bird worry? You ever seen a bird worry? 
He ain't worried when he's getting shot unless you're shooting a slow bullet. <laughs> he don't know it's coming. He ain't got nothing to worry about. <laughs> when he's getting shot, man. I was looking the other day in my backyard and I felt like Carla. Because I was just watching a squirrel and a bird. Now, in watching the squirrel and the bird, here's what I saw. I watched a squirrel that would run down. We only got one of our dogs left, but he's the fast one. And he'll say, oh, yes, sir. Right? Luckily, the squirrel was close enough to the tree. But that thing would run down the tree, grab acorn. That one runner would take off, and he'd get right back up that tree. He did like two or three times. Now, he was smart. He would wait 30 minutes at one point. You know, while Gideon would finally make his own way, mosey on back to, to, the, to the back of the house where it was far enough away where that squirrel thought he could make it again. And I watched that and I'm like, That's, that squirrel is smart, but he's worried. He's racing his heart. He's probably burning more fuel, racing down and getting one acorn and racing back up. You know what I'm saying? Than he would even be able to, to, to nourish his body with. And then I just happened to catch this bird. It didn't matter where Gideon was in the yard. That thing would swoop down and, and do a little backflip and it would wave at Gideon a little bit, I think. You know, it, it, ain't had no scare. it ain't had no scare. No worry at all. It wasn't with his beak and his little claw saying, what am I going to do? Rent's due on the nest. How am I going to pay it? You know what I'm saying? Like, like Publix ain't been built close enough to the country yet. Where am I going to get groceries from? I know what some of y'all be worrying about. Me too. Publix is coming. They promised. All right? You ever seen it? Get the Publix built, Brandon. Right? You ever seen a bird worrying? No. But have you ever seen a bird just sitting there doing nothing either? No, them things. But them things be moving. You know what I'm saying? Like they be moving not to move. There, I can't go there, man. <laughs> man in the upper room, I got a good illustration I'll share with you later, right? About how birds procreate. But anyway, <laughs> I'd get in trouble for that one too, but she's not back there, so, right? Man, y'all getting in trouble. Oh, uh, here we go. Get out of trouble right now. Jesus tells them three reasons. These are good, right? This is like a sermon in a sermon for us, right? And so we can spend more time on two verses. Three reasons not to worry. He said it's unhealthy, it's unbecoming, it's unproductive. First thing he says, it's unhealthy. Look at what he says. He says, is your life not more than food? Huh? Worry, stress, anxiety. You realize they can, they can literally harm you. Like this isn't just some, something that Jesus knew. It can hurt you. It can hurt your body. It can hurt your mind. King Darius, I'm going to come back to him at the very end so y'all remember. King Darius signs this decree. He doesn't agree with the decree, but he was kind of pressured into it. Some of you guys get pressured into some anxiety issues that you shouldn't be in, right? He gets pressured into it. He signs a decree about, you know, no prayer and all that kind of thing. We're going to get to it at the end, right? So I just want you to remember that. He can't sleep that night. He can't sleep. He can't eat. It even says, he says, I, I, um, he signed a decree. He says, As sleep went from him, neither did he eat. Now, I am not a doctor, but I know if you don't sleep and you don't eat, you die. So it's unhealthy. Understand? King David, Psalm chapter 6, he turned to the Lord and he said, I am weary with my groanings. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with tears. Can you imagine being in such a state of depression and anxiety that you literally describe your bed as something you could swim in? 
Maybe because of the sweat. I don't think he's got a potty in issue, guys. I think he's sweating and crying so much with all the issues that's going on that he can't control it anymore. That's an anxiety issue. Moses, chapter 11. I don't know if you guys remember this. You think you get into some, some rough spots sometime, and I know you do. He's so stressed out about how Israel keeps complaining. Finally, he goes to the Lord in a prayer, and he says this. My burden is too heavy for me. Please kill me. That's anxiety. He couldn't handle it any longer. I'm so grateful that David and Moses both knew, though, even though they, they waited to the last possible minute, they both knew they had to eventually go to the Lord with it. Thankfully, they didn't have the outcome that they were thinking was going to happen. Harvard Medical School says those that deal with anxiety have a greater risk for de developing GI system issues, respiratory system issues, and heart disease. It's unhealthy. It's simple. Second thing Jesus says. Jesus says it's unbecoming. He's saying it's not fitting for you to be a child of God and to be full of anxiety all the time. It doesn't match up. Because here's what you're saying. If you've got anxiety and worry so much, what you're saying is, Lord, I don't trust you. Oh, man, pastor said some cool stuff and I felt some emotions run and I read your word, Lord, and it sounded good, but I don't trust you to actually do what it is that they said you can do. You realize that's the way God interprets what you're saying? You understand that? I think if we understood it that way, we, we would might would watch how we deal with some stuff. I don't want to tell God that. God, I don't trust you. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. You're not mighty enough. Lord of the universe, I don't think you can handle it. What? God, I don't fully think and expect that you can do these things. I lack trust in you. That's what we're saying. And Jesus said it. I, want you, I wanted you to mark it. I don't know if you did yet, but now you can mark it. He didn't say the birds and their heavenly father. He said the birds and your heavenly father. What he's getting at, and, and the language is, is very clear and point blank sometimes. He said, if your daddy can take care of things that ain't his, that he doesn't have a personal relationship with, what do you think he can do with you? Right? You have a personal relationship with him. Think back when you were a kid. You ever remember growing up? Now, I know there's, there's some, unfortunately, that, that, that can't go the right way with this. But we're talking about America, first world issues, right? You ever remember being a kid and wondering where you was going to eat dinner at? I mean, just breaking down totally. I don't know where I'm going to eat tonight. No, very rarely any of us in this room had that issue, if we're honest. And if you're in this room, most likely your kids ain't got that issue. Right? It's just not, it's not, it's not something. We just trust mom and daddy's going to take care of it. Right? Somebody going to do it. And kids be eating. You know what I'm saying? They be eating, Bo. Get you a couple of them that's becoming teenagers. Huh? Parents delight in caring for the children, and so does our father. The third thing Jesus says, he says it's unproductive. He says, which one of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your statue? What he's saying is, what good has worry ever done for you? Has it ever solved one of your issues? Did you ever get a solution from letting anxiety work it out? Is it productive? No, it's not productive at all. It's like a rocking chair. It gives you a lot of movement, but you don't get to go nowhere. Right? Rocking chair, all you're doing is sitting and moving. Now, here's the crazy part. Again, some stats. 85% of the things we worry about never happen. 85%. Stay with these numbers right here because the last part is going to be awesome, right? 15% of them that did happen, 79% of them are people work out. Man, I can handle that better than I can handle dealing with the thought. Uh, uh, the, the difficulty of thinking about them over and over and over again. 
So you got 79% of the 15% that say, man, handling the situation was better than thinking about the situation. Yet 85% of them never even happened. So that means 97% of what you worry about is just a fearful mind punishing you with things that are never going to bother you whatsoever. That means in reality, you got 3% of stuff you can worry about. Now, doesn't that change your perception of what really matters? Right? And that was from a worldly site. That's not even for a, a spiritual kind of push. That's just, just as proof of what God says is right. Not that we need it, but it's cool when it's there. So you got a problem, you got a prescription. Third thing, you got a prayer. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I said it at the beginning. Maybe we're anxious about tomorrow because we hadn't been thankful for today. Right? Verse 6. He, he's going to pivot right here. He's going to contrast. Right? Because he uses that word, that word but. He's saying don't do this but do that. What he's given is, 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 is replacement. So the solution is replacement theology, right? Don't do this, but do that. The cure for worry is to replace your anxiety with what? With prayer. First Peter chapter five, verse seven, it says, casting all your cares. That word care, by the way, is that marinado, right? The things that divide your mind, cast everything that's dividing your mind. Where? Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. So don't carry your cares, cast your cares. My kids prove this point every day. Wednesday. Told you Crystal had been a... Hey, you're back, baby. Uh, <laughs> told y'all she had been a ray of sunshine all week long. No, seriously, though. We got through stuff. She was stressed out this week on some stuff. Ain't a big deal. Me too. I was a lot, right? But anyway, so Wednesday, I said, you know, I could tell when she was leaving Wednesday morning, the sink was full of stuff. That's my day kind of off. You know, the sink was full of stuff. Clothes ain't been done. Uh, tape. We, we have a real good thing. We wash our clothes and we dry our clothes and then we lay them on the table. Not folded, just in piles. And they stay there until you need them. Then you come and you draw something out the pile. And eventually the piles get diminished down. That's how we do it. You don't like it, don't come over. I don't care. You know what I'm saying? Invite me to your house so I can eat your food. Right? So, <laughs> you got, you got this, this situation set up and in the morning she's looking at the sink. I said, I got it. I got it. So, man, I had that thing cleaned, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know I was cleaning with some motivation, right? Because it was for the white. Y'all get men in my upper room, you know what I'm talking about, right? So that's where it was. I got the counter wiped down. I got it. Not just put the dishes in the dishwasher. I washed the dishes. I dried the dishes. And I put the dishes up. I washed the clothes. I dried the clothes. And I looked at that table. I did and about 15 minutes later, remember, I'm a motivated boy. <laughs> I'm motivated. So I literally tell you, I said, I'm going to fold every piece. And I folded every piece on there. So much so, we had so much clothes for you. We pile them up in each kid's section, right? So much so that I had like two piles for one boy and two piles for another boy. Even Haley had two piles. She got little tiny clothes, right? And, and I was looking at it. I was looking at it. Fixed my lunch. I looked at it again. I said, I'm going to put all that stuff in the room. I put it all in the room, dog. I set it right in front of the drawer. I didn't put it in the drawers. We ain't spoiling the little brats, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I put it right in front of the drawers. Right? Right in front of the, the, the closet. I was ready. It was good. I stood back and I looked at that house and I said, man, that's a good looking place. That island Marty built me. Oh, it looks good. Them kids came home. 
And the first thing they did was throw book bags in the middle. I, oh, I cleaned up the shoes. When you walk in the house, we, we like a lot of shoes for some reason. I don't know why. But that, that area of wash and dryer, it's just got like 88 pairs of shoes. We ain't got 88 people in the house. So I don't know why that room. But, but I put all them up. One kid drops his book bag as soon as he walks in that door. Boom. Next kid drops it at the turn. Come in our house. You turn left to go to the kitchen. Because, boy, go, go to the kitchen first. And that's all right. He dropped a book bag right there. Boom. Even my wife. Who did tell me how good everything looked. I'm not dismissing that. She sits her purse on top of the island. She sits her book bag on the other side. And I stand back and I look. I said, I'm going to tell you right now. I got my dad voice on. There ain't nothing going on this island today. I was realistic. You got to have realistic expectations. Because I knew stuff was going on the island another day. Just not today. So they moved their stuff. And the island looked good again. And then we came home from church. Yeah, about three hours later. You're right. Four hours. And there was Bibles across the island. And there was papers across the island. And the mail was on the island. She's got all her fancy books scattered all over with lol stuff right there by the fireplace because she likes to read by the fireplace. And that's when the Lord hit me with this verse from Peter. When you come home, you don't tote the stuff you've been toting all day. You cast it off. You cast it off as quick as you possibly can, don't you? Do you not? That's like that boy that dropped the book bag as soon as he walked in the door. Boom. I'm out. Ain't nothing but a thing. Next one, drop. She's sitting in the purse down. Whatever you've been toting all day, you don't, you don't come into the house and sit at the dinner table with your book bag and your purse on. That'd be weird. It'd be real weird because we don't even eat at our dinner table. Like, we just crazy running around, right? But, but you ever think about that? Peter is saying, and this is where, this is where Paul's getting, this is where Jesus, or this is where they got it from Jesus, who's saying this thing, right? Replacement theology. He's saying, you cast it all off. Man, and then I thought about myself. Now, I do a little better. Because I carry a book bag every day. You know, it's got my gun in it and it's got money in it and it's got my stuff for the shop in it and any papers or whatever. So, so as I walk in, first thing I do, I sit the thing right by the door, but it's like out the way in a nice clean area. Okay, because I do it right. I'm just saying. Right? But I do take it off. I carry a book bag to church. You know, just, well, not so much during uh, testimony time, but every Wednesday. It's got my, my little iPad in it because i got technology uh, growing inside of me a little bit. It's got my Bible and my notes in it. It's got my prayer book in it. it. It's got a gun in it, too. We like our guns, right? So you safe. Don't worry. I'll take care of everything, right? So, like, you got all that. As soon as I get home, it goes right back to my room, and I drop it off. I don't tote that thing around. I don't sit down and watch TV with my backpack on. You know what I'm saying? That'd be weird. And that's, that's what Paul's saying. He goes, replacement theology. You need to cast all this stuff on the Lord. If you've got a gym bag, cast it off. Any bag, whatever it is, right? And, and here's what he's saying. He, here's the thought. Because when you redirect what you've been toting all day, you give it to who? What's he say? Supplicate it with prayer. Prayer. You hand it to the Lord. And then it got me thinking again. Why is the first thing we're supposed to do always the last thing we do? Be honest with yourselves for just a minute, right? Now, y'all the holy section, I think, still, right? Y'all's TV start working? Still working, good. You're more holy again, right? I didn't want you to feel less holy. Right? So you're the holy section, right? How many of y'all will deal with something for days, and then finally, either you said it, or you can even pretend you heard a friend say it, well, the only thing left to do is pray about it. You've you been there, you said that? 
You heard somebody say that? You heard somebody in your church say that? That's the dumbest phrase. What do you mean the only thing left to do is pray about it? Ain't prayer supposed to be the first thing we did about it? Huh? Shouldn't it have been the very first issue we dealt with? No, we wrestle with it. We let it get worse and we let it get worse. And then when there's nothing left to do, we've been letting it eat us up for a week, a month, a year. We did what we should have did. We, we take the book bag off and we cast it onto the Lord. Right? Paul didn't just say, notice what he says here. You get a lot of sermons in this sermon, right? He, he uses some things on this prayer, man. This is, this is good stuff right here. Four different things he notices. The first one, that word prayer, by the way, is proyokaye, which is the word in the Greek they use a lot of times for worship and devotion. So he ain't even really saying, I want you to break into your normal little pr prayer kind of group thing. He's saying, I want you to have a worship time first. He's saying, if worry been getting you, then worship. If you've been burdened, then it's time to bow down, right? I want you to focus on the Lord's greatness instead of all this stuff that's eating you up. Now, everybody understand me. Order is, everybody say it. Order is important. Order is important, right? Because we just now talked about casting things off, right? You're supposed to do that, and that's okay. Order is important. Could you imagine what it would be like if you just cast everything on him right from the very beginning? If you just threw your problems to him right away. Y'all got any friends to call y'all when they got a problem? Y'all ain't got no friends? <laughs> Maybe I need to have a whole other kind of sermon lesson on getting some friends. Y'all need some friends, all right? Ain't nothing wrong with it. That wasn't a trick question. All right, you, you should have raised your hand. If not, you should have at least pretended so people in here didn't think less of you. You know, they're talking about you right now. Like, you see so-and-so, they ain't raised their hand. They ain't got no friends. God bless them. Right? You got some friends that'll call you when they got a problem? I got a couple. I always know what's up. They'll start the conversation Usually with either sports or cars or something like that, right? Hey, did you see so and so? Did you see? Did you see this? Did you see that? And then it'd be like, "Hey, man, I got an issue." <laughs> but I respect that. I'm like, at least they called to do a little talking first before throwing. Could you imagine, like, at the first thing out of their mind every time they out of their mouth every time they called you? You won't believe what the little brat did now. Can you imagine what she did? Can you imagine what he did? You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, what if the very first thing Adam I was just boom, just mouth vomited all over you problems? Hand grenade, right? Anger nade. There you go. I like it. Anger nade. Right? There's a, there's order is important. What does he tell us? And this is no different, by the way. I, I was this is just a free one. I was looking inside. If you were ever to go see the Queen of England in person, you actually have to take a class on the protocol training of how to stand in front of them, right? All the royal family, what to do, the gestures to make, what side of yourself is allowed to be looked at. Right? That's protocol for standing before a worldly, earthly ruler's authority. So therefore, don't you think there should be some protocol before I stand before the Lord of the universe? Right? My heavenly father. Jesus taught us the same way when he prayed, right? What did he say? He started his prayer with this. Give us this day our bread. Some of y'all don't know if I'm serious or not right now. Y'all like, is that the order? I know we used to quote it before every football game, but I'm not sure if that's right. No, he didn't start with that. What did he start with? Our Father, who art in heaven, how would be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's worship. That's worship. He's setting an example for us on how to pray. You go to your daddy first with honoring him. You go to him with some, some, some worship. You, 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 you then, then what's he say? Give us his day or daily bread. There's an order is important. Then you cast your cares, right? Here's why I said at the beginning, worship and worry can't exist at the same time. 
If you come in and start worshiping the Lord, your worry will automatically begin to diminish. I'm serious. It's awesome. It's, and when you feel it, I don't know if you've been there, but when you feel it, it's phenomenal, man. Right? Because you just feel it begin to go away. I felt it while I was over there. I apologize because it took me three songs to get there. Right? It did. But on that third song, I just felt it go. You know what I'm saying? I want to do a little moonwalk over there. I want to. Ain't nothing but a thing. You know what I'm saying? Like I had it. It was, it was everything I'd been learning was now going to be able to be applied. Right? Before then, I was going to come up here and pretend. Right? Worship. Worship. The more you worship, the more your worry diminishes. But the more you worry, the more your worship diminishes. You got to get it right. Second thing he says, so you got to worship first, right? Second thing, then's that supplication. Now, supplication has, has a lot of cool words, right? It means strong crying. It means begging. Sounds like an emotional kind of thing. I like that the Lord left room for that. You realize it's okay. You ever heard people like who, who just tell you, oh, baby, you shouldn't be crying about that. You got to suck it up. That ain't very spiritual. Now, he said cry about it every day, all day, all the time. But he did say, it's, some of y'all laughing because y'all know some people to do that, right? If they're doing that, then you can tell them, hey, baby, it's time to dry it up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Put your big girl panties on. <laughs> right? No. He's saying there comes a time, right, where you do need that emotional release. Young mama was trying to get the flow of life back, and her three-year-old kept busting in the room every morning. So finally, the mama said, look, this is mommy's time. This is mommy and God's time. I'm having my devotional. Right? So the phone call comes in, little three-year-old answers it right away. She doesn't want mommy, you know, interrupted because mommy's busy. She's having her emotions is what she tells the lady on the phone. <laughs> of course, she meant devotions, but I like the way she put it. There's a time to engage your emotions. Supplication is part of that. You remember when Jesus talked about the friend at midnight that kept wanting the loaves of bread? He doesn't say he got the loaves of bread because he was my friend. He said what? He got the loaves of bread because of his persistence. He said, that sorry joker wouldn't leave me alone. I had to finally give it to him, right? But then the Lord tells us like he wants that from us. He wants our persistence. He wants us to come, with, come to him in the right order, worship him a lot, then bring him some stuff a lot. Then he says this other word right here. What's he say? Don't stop there. He says, with thanksgiving. Now, we shouldn't need a reminder of don't forget to thank God. But how many of us forget to thank God, if we're honest? Or better yet, before we even get to that, let me ask you this. Because we're still talking about anxiety, right? How do you thank God while you're in anxiety? While you're dealing with worry and doubt and stress and depression? It says, thank Him. What am I going to thank Him for? You know, let's be honest. That's probably part of the question. What am I going to thank God for? How about you thank God that He cares enough to give you words like this when you got an issue? How about you thank God enough for the lessons you're going to learn while you're dealing with the issue? We thank you for obvious blessings all the time. We thank you for promotions and big bonuses and all that stuff. But what about when your cupboards are bare and you don't have nothing to eat? It's a whole different kind of attitude, is it not? And that's how Bill's changing it. He's saying those trials are tools that God's using to mature you to ten lepers. Remember, ten lepers all healed. Disease that couldn't be healed. How many come back? One. One. Uno. One. Ten percent. 10%. I wonder if that ratio has changed in the last 2,000 years. 10%. I wonder if that one that came back, I picture this guy is just like the perfect guy, by the way, right? I wonder if he came back and he not only said, thank you for my healing, but thank you for the lessons I learned during the difficult years. You know what I, I love? Not hearing some of the, 
the hell and high water you guys had to go through during your testimonies on Wednesdays. But what I love is hearing when that little click goes off of a lesson you learned. Of a connection you made. Of a man. My God was with me. He was near. He helped me get out. He used so-and-so as a vessel. He used so-and-so as a tool. He, he used the church. He used his word. He used a song on the radio. He Whatever he used. But you acknowledge the fact that he, he used it. Maybe here's the big idea. If you start your prayers with praise, you'll end them in some peace. Hmm. Here's another big point. I want you to underline this one, right? You hear the word he says? Requests. After your Thanksgiving, then you can take your request to him. He didn't say don't take your demands to him. He didn't say take your temper tantrum to him. He didn't say even that crap that we hear on TV all the time. I claim it by faith, so I know you're going to do it, Jesus. I ain't nowhere in scripture, by the way. He says what? I want you to come ask. Now, here's what's cool. God is saying, I want you to ask, right? Because he might say yes. He might say no. He might say maybe. He might say later. You're requesting. You're asking. But when you request and ask, you got to be specific. You ever, you ever like, I get, I, I, this is me sometime for, for a long time, right? At the end, I say, Lord, just bless everything in my life. Is that not a cop out though? You know what I'm saying? Like that ain't what God's looking for. I literally started praying at night and I said, Lord, I want you to send a lot of customers. I want you to send a lot of work. You know, them jokers came in 32 degree weather on Saturday morning. You know what I'm saying? 30 degree weather. They all want tires on a Saturday morning. It don't make no sense. And then I remember while I prayed and asked for this, I guess I better not complain about it. After I complained about it, of course. But am I informing God when I pray? No. When you pray, you're conformed to God. You see the difference? You're conformed to God when you pray, right? You're voicing your weakness, right? You're, you're being changed. The more honest you are in your prayer, by the way, the more power God can put through your prayer. Seriously. The more honest you are, the more, the more, the more open you are. Which, by the way, you ain't surprising God with anything either, right? You're voicing your weakness. You're voicing your, your dependence. And you're saying, I'm thankful for everything, but here's what I need help with. And then we get to the last part, the promise. Verse 7. Y'all, y'all know that was all one verse? Somebody's like, holy cow. No, verse 7 is easy, right? It says, the peace of God. You just feel relaxed when that first part comes out. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you was reading it, you had to stop for a minute, didn't you? Right? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, I just, I just want to give you, just to just make sure you understand what's written, because I think wording's important. Just like it was your heavenly father, not the birds. This says the peace of God. We've talked before in years, years past with some other series. Every believer gets peace with God. But not every believer has the peace of God. You catching the difference? Peace with God is when you surrender. Lord, I ain't in charge no more. This is yours. Salvation is the only way I can get it through your son. Right? But peace with God? Oh, that's a whole different kind of... I mean, peace of God? That's a whole different, whole different kind of thing, right? You're saying, and, and here's, here's an easy way. Here's how I write it down. Jesus says Savior is peace with God. Jesus says Lord is the peace of God. See, some of y'all think you just came to be your Savior and you're missing out on so many of the blessings he's got for you. Right? He's saying it's going to be okay because, God, you're in control. That peace which surpasses not just human understanding. It says it surpasses all understanding. 
It says, I can't adequately describe it in any way. Isaiah chapter 26, one of my favorites, it says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Wow. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind stayed on you because he trusts on you. You realize if you're not in peace then, if you take Isaiah's words, if you're not in perfect peace, that means you're probably not trusting the Lord. That means your mind's not focused on him. Then in Paul, in that verse in Philippians, he says, it will guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. Picture a guard. We'll go back to their, their lifestyle, right? That, that centurion. He's standing there. He's got a spear. He's got a shield. He's got this mean look on his face. He's standing at the gate, right? And this verse is saying he's the garrison that's posted when thoughts come into your mind. The peace of God is what's standing there, battled up ready. And he's saying, I'm standing right there. And any thought that tries to get into your mind, it ain't the right one. I'm the umpire. Right, if that's better for you. You guys don't like the guard and you want a sports one, right? I'm the umpire. I'm the, I'm the one that's saying whether it's allowed to get in or not. It's great. It's awesome. If there is any person in Scripture, my last illustration, any person in Scripture that would be able to describe what Paul's writing about, it was Daniel. Daniel in the Old Testament, guys. He lived in Babylon, a foreign, a foreign country, a hostile government. King Darius, the guy we talked about just a minute ago, he made this rule. The decision that he signed that he couldn't even sleep and eat about any longer. That it was against the law for Daniel or anybody else to pray to the one true God of heaven. They couldn't worship. They couldn't pray for 30 days. You know, the problem is that decree could be made today and you guys could go 30 days without it. Huh? Daniel says, I can't go 30 days without it. Daniel chapter 6 verse 10. It says, so Daniel went home. Listen to the language. And he prayed and gave thanks before his God. Verse 11. The men found Daniel praying and making supplication to his God. P.S. Praying and giving thanks. Supplication to his God. You hear in all three of the words that Paul is talking about. Prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. All of them are right there. And you know what Daniel's result was? Complete peace. Right? I can even prove that. I hope you guys understand, right? Because some of you are thinking, hold on. I remember like the little kid story of Daniel in the lion's den. Yeah. Right after he got caught praying and worshiping, guess where he had to go? To the lion's den, like all of you know, right? Guess what he did in the lion's den? He went to sleep. Y'all want to, you hear him all want to sound spiritual? He prayed, Pastor. Pastor, he was worshiping. He was thanksgiving and he was supplicating. I'm not sure what those three words mean, but I know they were spiritual, right? No! He took a nap! <laughs> y'all, some of y'all just need a nap. Y'all be trying to get y'all's prayer and thanksgiving and supplication. Y'all just need to go home and sleep, right? Where is he sleeping at? In the lion's den! I'm trying to prove a point. This guy had more peace than anybody. Could you sleep in the lion's den? Huh? Now, here's the funny part. You've got to picture the whole story for those of you that, that know it. You know where I'm at. And for those of you that don't, you need to get it, right? King Darius, who made the rule, who's in his palace. I can't sleep. I can't eat. Like, I, I'm so worried. I'm so anxious about the decisions that I made. I can't. The dude who's in a lion's den. <sighs> he wakes up the next morning. Man, that was a good night's rest, King. Thanks. See you later. <laughs> what did he say? God bless you. Live forever. Here I am. Huh? That's the dude who's in a lion's den. 
Now, please understand, I, I don't think this is, I don't, I don't mean to think this is going to happen all the time. This is a process. My point in reading this and checking out some of these, these stories and stuff like this is to tell you this, it can happen. It can happen. Some of you think, I don't know if they could ever, it can happen. When you're at a funeral, it can happen. When you're at the hospital, it can happen. When you're in an accident, it can happen. When you're in a relational disagreement, it can happen. We entered this passion, passive. We entered this passage with anxiety, but we're leaving it with what? Peace. And what was slammed in the middle of it? Prayer. Anxiety, have some prayer, leave in peace. You start your prayers with praise, you end them in peace. Right? It's good stuff. There's a, a guy who was a worry wart, man. Always worried about everything. Couldn't, couldn't sleep, couldn't deal with nothing. Always having trouble. Right? Just, just it, man. I mean, just the, the most miserable person you've ever been around. One day he comes in and he's kind of like chilled and relaxed a little bit. And one of his friends at work, you know, they all work together so they know each other well. He said, man, what happened? He said, man, I hired somebody who's going to deal with all my anxiety. He said, you did what? He said, I'm paying somebody who's going to deal with every worry that comes my way. He said, I'm paying him $200,000. Well, his buddy who works with him, so they sit at the same desk, looks at him and goes, bubble. You don't make a third of that. How are you going to pay him? He looks back and says, I don't know. That's his worry. <laughs> you don't have to pay nobody to deal with your worry. You know what I'm saying? You come to God the right way. You acknowledge that he has the ability, the power, and the desire. That's the coolest part, guys. He even has the desire to deal with it. And you don't drop your book bag on the island or where people are going to walk. You put your book bag in the right spot, in the right order. You don't have to tote it around anymore. Right? Because God says, I want to carry it for you. Matter of fact, I want to carry you when you can't carry yourself. Right? Stop letting stuff in the world that really, what we say, only 3% will realistically ever bother you. Stop letting all the stuff outside that realistically is never going to bother you, bother you. And I mean it the same way Paul and Jesus said it. I don't, I don't mean it to sound naive or... Telling a warrior just stop worrying. I know it's, it's a process. Yeah. Next time you feel worried, here's what you do. Here's the process. Start worshiping. Start worshiping. And it might take one song. It might take two songs. You might get lucky and you solve it on song number three. After hearing everybody's praises reports. It might take five, six, seven, eight songs. But no matter how many songs it takes to worship to, or how many different ways you want to worship, maybe you're thinking songs, right? However, however you want to worship. Is it not worth investing that time in the worship that really matters versus dealing with something probably ain't never going to matter? Huh? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise. God, I thank you that you care for us. Lord, as the, the psalmist says, Lord God, it is, it is well. It is well in our soul. But it's only well in our soul because of you. Because you are near. Because you care. God, open our eyes to see how close you are. Open our, our hearts and our mind, Lord God, to be able to see the outstretched hand that you have all around us with people. Right people. God, even open our eyes to see when it's some of those people that we need to be loving on to be your hands. But God, just help us to quit letting things that are never going to actually bother us, bother us. Lord, help us to trust in you and your word and your promise. 
God, I'm claiming today. I'm holding you on your word. I'm holding you accountable on your promises, Lord God. But to the best of my ability, and I pray everybody in this room to the best of their ability, that when anxiety and worry and, and Satan and all those little schemes try to attack, God, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to worship and I'm going I'm to acknowledge who you are. I'm going to check out who you are. I'm going to see what you've done. Because there's no way, Lord, I can look at that stuff and not trust you with what's next. Help us to be disciplined enough to do this, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.